0: I'd say that sports was the one thing that, uh, you know, really I've even used that everywhere I've traveled. I've found somebody that does sports and that's how I've met a lot of people. And those, those people that I was on the broomball team and on the powder puff team because they were my sorority sisters, they're my lifelong friends.
1: Welcome to Beyond High Street. My name is Jenny Derrick and I'm the Dean of the Farmer School of Business here at Miami University. Today I'm joined by Dawn Mulliken, who graduated with a BS in finance with an emphasis in economics way back in 1986. So welcome
0: Dawn. Good morning to you. How have you been? Great to be back on campus, I bet.
1: It's so good, and so good to see you again. We, we had the privilege of meeting in person, which was, a, was a, a rare treat. So during this podcast, as our listeners know, we do weave through a range of topics so that our listeners can get to know you, more learn more about your journey, and understand some of your reflections along the way. And I know you've got a great story to tell. I've really enjoyed getting to know you. So we have to begin with the most important set of questions. Why did you choose the Farmer School?
0: So back in high school, which, you know, I still don't, I still have a full head of hair. So, yeah, you know, I haven't pulled it all out. (laughs) But um, when we were thinking about the way a lot of people look at um, looking for colleges, it was a little different back then and also for me, too. So I just looked for some people in high school that were strong influencers for me. And they mentioned above the Mason-Dixon line to look at a few schools that were very powerful and very good with the interest that I had. Um, so I applied to Miami. I came to, didn't see the campus until I came for orientation, and it has, um, it was love at first sight, and it's been a lifelong relationship.
1: Now you've got an interesting path into finance with an emphasis in economics. Talk to me about that journey that that led you to finance.
0: That's interesting. I had, um, you know, quite a few people that um, said, you know, with your equally left brain and right brain, you know, you could do a lot of things. So I thought, well, I'll just follow the path of maybe pre-med, which was, no, that did not work out. Um, but I really found out that I enjoyed solving problems. I enjoyed looking at data. I enjoyed um, understanding how things work from a capital perspective. And my dad was an entrepreneur. He's had his own business for a long time. And I said, you know what, let's just try it. Um, but as we were thinking about what is, is it, accounting, um, You know, finance, uh, marketing, management, and finance was just really one of those things that I thought from a data perspective. I love that. I can do some things with it. But economics came from the, a couple of my professors who said, you know, you really have this ability to ideate, think, um, innovate, hypothesize. And that's really, we could foster that with some economics because of, of all of the things that go on in that world. So it's, it's really the left brain and the right brain kind of thing, right hand, left hand. They work together. And so um, I think I may be three or six hours shy of getting a major in economics, Um, But I enjoyed every one of my classes with the exception of a few.
1: And we'll come to that soon. (laughs) You you talked about your love of data and data analytics and so forth. And one thing I've been really impressed by as I read your background is how you do have a a desire to, to commit to lifelong learning. And you've done so many courses. I mean, you did do our mini MBA. So I'm thrilled about that. That was a great win for us. But you've done courses in blockchain and AI and user experience and data analytics with our programming thrown in the mix as well. Data visualization. So talk to me about what draws you back into lifelong learning. And, and what drew you into those particular set of courses?
0: Well, I can talk to the first part about lifelong learning, and it started uh, when I came to school um, at Miami. You know, in high school, and most of us, we come from small towns, and some of us came from a few big towns. But, you know, at that point in time, I think learning was, um, you know, at least for us, it was rote. You know, you, this is what you need to have to pass a test. When you come to college, they said, we're not going to throw all that away. However, we're now going to expect your brain to do something different. We've laid the platform. Now we want you to be intellectually curious. And to be intellectually curious, you need to be actively open-minded. Okay, that's not exactly their words, but that's you know, my interpretation of it. So when you think about the things you like to do, how do you apply that? Well, if you are solving problems or there's new technology that comes in like blockchain, you have to really... Um, rethink and unlearn, you know, so the ability to be open-minded, intellectual, intellectually curious always means that you're, you're trying to figure out how things work and how could they be different or better continuous improvement mindset a little bit. Um, so that is where, and it started with a couple of professors at Miami that said, this is, this is how you can be successful in life is to take everything you've learned at this point, but have a curiosity about it you know, even challenge it, say, hey, is that right? Or can I do it differently? It was good up to this point. Um, So that is really came from Miami itself. So when we think about lifelong learning and some of the roles that I've been, been chosen to perform over my professional career, a lot of them have been around problem solving. And whether you can see around the corner and say, okay, this is coming up from a trend perspective, um, or you've got some very unique challenges specific to the industry you're working for. You need to stay abreast of all the new thoughts that are out there. So I'll give an example um, when we think about evolution. Um, for when I was you know, looking for jobs, um, one of the things I had on my resume was my real estate license that I got when I was in you know turned 18, just thinking just in case you know I'll uh, make a little bit more money, especially when I worked for a bank. You can always use extra money there. But the resume, um, would most of the people said, there's a red flag. You have entrepreneurism um, on there. And I thought, oh, that's very interesting um, that that would occur. Because to me, I, they see it as a negative or a deterrent. And I saw that as a mindset. And what a positive mindset that could be if you have a founder's mentality and you want to have continuous improvement and you want to do leadership. I mean, what more could you ask for? And I was blessed to be a part of... Um, miami and serve on the business advisory council and we got a chance to bring john altman from Babson to here and he became the first director of the thomas c page entrepreneur center and now you look at miami and their business school is just ranked always so high and which you're so proud as an alum to be in a, you know a part of that but our entre- entrepreneurism continues to be one of the flagships that we do so well with so i love to see the evolution but ha- being open-minded, going all the way back then, would we have known that? So that's my um, two cents worth on but, you know, and, and, how and you to raised... continually update yourself, um, upskill yourself, be openly active-minded, and you want to continue to improve yourself.
1: And in just in just a minute, we will go through your career journey, but I love what you were just saying about the entrepreneurial mindset. And just for the listeners to think about that too, because You were talking, I think the example you referred to with the red flags was early on in your career, which would have been late 80s, that kind of period of time. And now, you know, one of our central platforms, our premises with our entrepreneurship program is the value of an entrepreneurial mindset, no matter what organization you go into. And it seems to me that many of our employers are valuing that now. So I think that's an important data point right there, that instead of confining everybody into a way of doing things, that this is how we do things in our company, now we want you to think outside the box and be creative and innovative. So that, that takes a style of leadership, I think,
0: to be brave enough to allow that to happen. Would you agree? I would absolutely agree. When, we, when you think about the mindset, uh, most people, you start out, if you look at it and say, I'm going to control everything, you almost come to the with the mindset of, okay, somebody's coming to work with not the right attitude. You know, you got to change that and say everybody comes to work to do the right thing for that day. And the culture is a huge part of being able to feel like you can do your best. And um, there's nothing more impressive than seeing an entire team, not just the top level of the organization driving um, everything forward. It really can't. It'll get too stretched, you know, and the rubber band will break because you haven't brought the whole team along. And I think that that mindset of being, you know, however you want to, there's a lot of studies that are out there um, about entrepreneurism, is it continuous improvement, is it founders mentality, is this ability to take personal leadership on in whatever role that you're performing for that day and that within the daily task. But I think in the long run, it's the evolution of that. Mm-hmm. And I think Miami should be very proud of the role that it played in helping A lot of the companies that were close to Miami to say, "Hey, let's look at this differently," which I know we did, um, either through um, a few individual professors or you know some of the research that we did as we were um, launching the Entrepreneur Center. So I, that's one of those very proud moments as an alum. And then we
1: do. I, I I don't. I mean, the accolades for the entrepreneurship program and center are, are tremendous. And and you mentioned John Altman and his. Um, pushed along the way has been great. We're grateful. So let's Mm -hmm. go back to your career journey. You you started, if I'm not mistaken, with the U.S. Bank, went into banking, and then you moved into consulting. So talk to us through the journey and, 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 uh, you know, talk to us through the journey and then I'll poke in some other questions as we go. Thank you.
0: Yeah. You know, when you look at your journey, you look at their, you know, roles and choices and learnings, right? (laughs) Because there's that old saying that if you could have a chance to have as many um, learnings that's by through other people's mistakes and your own, you know, you, you, you'll uh, do a better job on that. So I've had a few roles. Um, the first one was um, out of school. I was hired by, it was called First National Bank, which is now a U.S. bank. Um, and I was hired in as a professional development program, enjoyed it. I was there for two years. But as I like to tell people, we mutually agreed to disagree, which means I got fired. (laughs) They're like, Don, you are not a banker. I'm like, gosh, the the imposter couldn't get through with it for after two years. But um, they did it very graciously. And um, it ended up that, you know, within, I want to say, three or four years, I was back involved with the bank, not only as they helped me start my um, business observatory group, but also they asked me to be on their investment advisory board for which is the the trust side of the business. So that added, you know, don't burn any bridge. And uh, you also have a lot of angels out there that take care of you. So it's been a blessing that I got to work there. But one of the things about Miami, when I talked about having a lifelong relationship with Miami, is um, I tucked my tail and I drove up and I said to my couple of my professors, I just, you know, got this happening to me. You know, I don't know anything about this. Tell me. And they're like, well, what do you think you learned? And I said, well, I can tell you what I I didn't have a few things. So I know what I know. But more importantly, I now know what I didn't know. And they're like, well, will you share this? And so they had me come up and talk to a couple of seniors um, as they were graduating and, you know, said, hey, you know, we talk a lot about what you can do on the job. But here are some things that are soft skills related and it was all soft skills related and so that was very powerful and it, it also they were the class was thrilled to have the, the that side of it i was thrilled as a i didn't have to pay for a therapist you know i was able to tell them <laughs> um, but at the same time, you know, you you have these great lessons um, that that you learn, and you're able to you go back and uh, apply them. But uh, and, and
1: what a gift for our students to have someone recently fired, not too many years older than they are, to talk about you know no some of the practicalities of work. I know,
0: and it happens. You know, you hate to admit it, and um, but it you know it is part of you know the life, and you're going to go through a lot of failures. It's like um I think it was Thomas Edison who had close to a thousand tries to be able to figure out that one ingredient he got in was Tunson, but he, you know, he never stopped, um, but he failed an awful lot. So, uh,
1: so so talk to me more. So you start off in banking, you've had an extraordinary career in consulting and, and a lot of your work focuses on organizational growth. So can you highlight, talk to me about that part of your career and maybe litter in some examples of projects that you're most proud of that illustrates the type of work that you do.
0: Oh. Yes, I have. um, I've been blessed to be able to start a business. And the reason I was able to start a business is that there was a gap, you know, um, didn't want to become a commodity, wanted to be an asset. And how could I help that And it? um, And that has just been a very simple way to, to look at where can you have a competitive advantage? Um, But as I was going through that and I got the my first client um, in with my small little business uh, at the time was um, Hasbro Choice and then Chiquita Brands and then Procter & Gamble. So I got a chance um, because of the location that I was at and the willingness of people to take a risk on a small um, but, you know, hungry and um, willing to, you know, dig in and, and do hard work was to serve them and however they needed me to serve them. And a lot of the times. It was, hey, help me think through this. Is there a different way? Is there a better way? Um, so it gets to that visualization. When we talked about data, a lot of the things that the people were asking us to do was to um, do presentations. How are we gonna present our ideas to somebody else? And so our ability to not only help them look at the trends and the analysis through data, but then to be able to visualize that. And you know, R does a great job now of being able to take big query data and visualize it for you. But back then, um, you know, there were not always that um, many. So we did a lot of creative. Um, so I had a strategy team and then I had a creative team and their ability to translate um, those visuals into powerful sales and marketing tools was, uh, was very impactful and it was necessary at the time. So I, I was able to have a lot of opportunities to help clients. And through that, um, with being a core supplier to Procter & Gamble, I got to really sit at the table, the knights of the round table, is what I like to say. I mean, everybody is best of class, and the, for me to be able to be with that team and to work with them, I was, you know, so much better for that. Um, so one of the projects that I enjoyed—I mean, I've enjoyed every one of them—but a few of them were. Um, Rather, uh, they were up so upstream that they didn't have names. They were they were they, they just had symbols, you know, and one of them was around the global bioscience unit for Procter and Gamble. And we got to be part of that early stage to help them decide how was P&G going to be bio enabled and how were we going to do it on a global basis? So that was an incredible um team to be a part of, and to see the benefits of that even now, as you look at how is bio being incorporated into CPG world outside of just medical. And um, P&G was a remarkable partner um, that I got a chance to learn a lot from. I love that.
1: So one of the things on your CV, you do work for a nonprofit. So can you talk to us about the work you're doing around the mental health space with uh, MindPeace?
0: Sure. I am an executive. Um, I would not say I'm an executive. I'm sorry. I'm an advisor to the executive director, um, and her name is Susan Shelton. And there is no one that I know on a national level that is more committed to the childhood environments and around mental health. So, and how it incubated was um, just doing some volunteer or civic work um, for the junior league and um, we were tasked, I was in the leadership role and she was on my team. And we were tasked to find gaps in the community where our volunteer hands and dollars could help strengthen childhood environments. So we brought three um, thing, three projects to the slate for the members, and they voted to um, launch MindPeace. And what we did is we we were able to provide you know, the gap Uh, We went to, and I should say we, we did, but Susan, we really drove it, was to get the Cincinnati Public Schools involved, to get Cincinnati Children's Medical Health Center and the Junior League, and we incubated that, um, and now uh, when we let it fly back into the community, and it is now centered inside of Cincinnati Children's, it is advocating and helping families and children to be able to not only understand mental health, but to be able to get the help that they need to be um, able to you know, work through that. And nothing's better than getting the schools because that's where they are most of their time. It was just ingenious um, for that. And my role is very simple. She just calls and says, I have this suggestion or what do you think about this idea? Um, but to be a part of that and to watch it grow, to become a national model is, is fabulous and I'm very proud you know you think about uh, you know entrepreneurism um, and doing things that are hard I mean mental health is sometimes still has a stigma um, we're lucky now that there's so many individuals in the world that are influencers whether they're celebrities or they're athletes and they're talking openly about that so the platform um, just got a lot higher um, as a baseline so the now, what we need to do is think about how many people can we get to serve those individuals and the needs? Because that's definitely um, an issue is we just don't have enough um, workers in on the medical side to help with the mental health.
1: Such important work. And thank you for all that you're doing in that space. It's so important. So now we're going to shift gears and take a trip down memory lane. So <laughs> I've got a battery of questions to ask you about your time at Miami. So first question, when you look back on your time at Miami, who was your favorite professor?
0: Oh, man, there were so many cool professors. Um, but, you know, the one that I think that I, I just, in, in, he engendered so much love for me was um, Professor Striver. He was a past president, and I took a class from him as a freshman. And I think he, not only did he set the expectation of a for you, you know, cur- intellectual curiosity that we talked about earlier, but every professor after that, you know, met that or exceeded that expectation that he had set. So he he was fabulous and his wife was lovely. They opened their home, you know, up to a lot of studies. And me, I didn't know anybody. I knew zero people when when I came to Miami. So having him open their home, you know, to us students was, it felt really great.
1: I've heard great things about that famous course that he taught so what subject did you least enjoy no you don't need to name the professor just the subject oh
0: he would be happy if i did okay i i don't know why but i got curiosity i thought you know i'm gonna try russian and so i had dr bowie and he was the nicest man but after like one or two um sessions he came back and he said no don this course is not only you're going to learn a new alphabet and it's going to be written, but it's also oral. And I'm having a hard time understanding your accent now because it's from the South. Putting Russian on top of that, I think you need to take this pass-fail. <laughs> Oops.
1: that's <laughs> funny. So
0: He's <laughs> so cute. He was, an, and I did, and I passed, but, you know, I took his advice. That's <laughs> so
1: funny. <laughs> Excuse me. So what co-curricular activities were you involved in?
0: Um, you know, I got to do a lot. I love sports and I love being outside. So I got involved in like broomball and powder puff football. I think that's what it was called. Um, you know, those kind of things and really enjoyed it. I did some leadership in Greek life, um, did some leadership in, you know, particular business related, but I'd say that sports was the one thing that, uh, you know, really I've even used that everywhere I've traveled. I've, found somebody that does sports. And that's how I've met a lot of people. And those, those people that I was on the broomball team and on the powder puff team, because they were my sorority sisters. They're my lifelong friends. I mean, I just talked to the guy that last week that ran our whole team. Um, so for broomball. Yeah.
1: And you were mentioning before we started recording, that you still play tennis. So, so you obviously have a, an active set of sports that you still participate in.
0: Oh yeah. You know, you, as everybody can Relates to listening to this podcast. You have days where you've got a lot of vinegar that stores up, and you need to go out and <laughs> and get something competitive. And uh, you know, you can't really hurt a ball, so you just. <laughs> <to>. one,
1: <laughs> one way of looking at it. Do, balls don't have feelings, but
0: <laughs> what, what was your favorite time of the day to go to class? My favorite time of day to participate in class was in the morning because my brain just is um, it's on autopilot. I mean, that's how maybe that's how my name is. I was born very early in the morning. So if, if everybody follows that theory, you know, that's when I'm the most active. But you know, another time I liked it when I would be walking back for class, People, a lot of people were coming to class and just watching the energy of all of these people walking up and across over, you know, slant walk and everything. It's just people were just doing a lot of things. And they, but we, there was some type of, you know, you're thinking you belong to everybody because everybody's there to learn and everybody's. You know, some people have good days, some days have bad days, but watching people and the energy was fabulous Yeah, I love in the
1: it. afternoon. So did you have a favorite night of the week while you're at Miami? Was there
0: a favorite, favorite night? Oh, gosh. I think my favorite nights were always when I got a chance to not study and be with uh, my friends doing something. Other than studying, so um, people watching uptown was always fun. Just yeah. sitting on those red, red stairs and watching people, you know, you'd start watching people at seven, and then you'd watch those same people at ten or eleven. It was very fun. <laughs> no
1: judgment. <laughs>
0: no, <was> good entertainment. <laughs> yeah.
1: Did you intern at all
0: while you're at Miami? Did I what? Intern. I did intern. Um, Went back to, a, like I said, a small town in Lexington, Kentucky area and um, did some, you know, banking um, both of those summers. And uh, so I had some exposure there, but I didn't go outside of the, uh, the realm of so, that. So not,
1: I, not enough banking to realize it wasn't a good fit, I'd like to. Have. <laughs>
0: well, you know, at the same time, you're, you know, you, uh, you know, you got to make money. Right. Uh, in, in back then interns didn't pay so much. And then, you know, one of the things I often wonder, and of course, it's, it's like a tennis shot, you'll never know if it was in or out. So don't think about it. Um, but I got a chance to um, study over in Oxford. And I didn't do it. And I thought, you know, wonder what, you know, but again, it was that summer where you, need you know, you had to make some money to to go to school. And and so that was my priority.
1: Where did you live during your freshman year? Which dorm? Do you remember? And do you remember yeah, the number? Do you remember the? I do number? not
0: remember the number mm. That's kind of bad. Being a mm-hmm. data kind of guru, and you do not. Not not many
1: of my listeners do remember the No, I numbers.
0: was in Taffin. <laughs> Taffin. So it was a uh, you know it was lovely, and I think we went to Harris Hall maybe to eat. Mm. Um, and that was one of the things that was very different to me is to have you know three meals a day, and you uh and they were set. I think maybe the, the, um, the dinner was open from four 30 to six 30. And where I grew up, that was just snack time. You know, you didn't eat till eight or nine. So <laughs> I had some adjustments to do. And then but, sometimes uh, I
1: was, hungry by, by midnight, if you still working. <laughs>
0: oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, it was great. And some of those people that we you saw as your freshman year, um, you, you saw them throughout the. So it was always nice to reconnect because everybody's in the same boat. And so they've always been so friendly to see you where, where, wherever you ended up living um, the rest of the years at Miami. Where did you live off campus? I lived um, in some apartments off campus and then I also lived in a house. There was a, a few houses that, uh, you know, kind of passed down from in a, within a sorority and I, I lived there. It was called Boardwalk and it was... Uh, it was it was near McGuffey so it was it still
1: boardwalk
0: so, what, so, so my what, favorite i will tell you my favorite hall that i lived in was bishop hall and that if you've ever been in it's a very small um dorm it's it is a dorm but it is charming with um you can almost think that it was one of the original um buildings and on Miami. I'm not sure if it is, but it felt like that with hardwood and the windows were huge. And um, it was also very close to Uptown. <laughs> and anything you walked further, like to Laws Hall, which is where I went most of the time, it was walking downhill. So, um, you know, I loved that aspect of it. That was so one of my favorite what, Which sorority
1: were you with?
0: I was a Kappa Alpha Theta.
1: Very good. Yep. Good, good. So what was your favorite building on campus, not in Uptown? Maybe Bishop Hall, but is there another building that you had
0: in um, the hall? the architecture was cool all across the board yeah. and i that's one of the things that made you feel so good is the, all of the architecture i spent a lot of time in law's hall cuz that was before the farmer school um, I spent a lot of time in the ice arena, the Grogans Ice Arena playing broom ball. That was fun. <laughs> but to me, it's a lot like dinner. You know, you can go to the nicest restaurants in the whole wide world. And if the company's not very good, you don't have it, it's not as memorable. So to me, it's always, you know, who you were with and what you were doing. I love that. So what about Uptown? What was your favorite spot in Uptown? You know, I love the bagel and deli shop. I mean, you, you, you think about, do you have your gear heads on your, I mean, there is a 20 to 25 foot by three foot place where put people put their orders. That's probably got to be the highest profit margin. Pretty in true. Lot of, true. And my favorite, um, when I could afford it, or if I did really well on a test, I would treat myself to a Bialy with, um, smoked cheddar and smoked Gouda. And mm. it was the fave. Mm, I'm going to you know, try that one out. It was good, great. Yeah. So do you, <laughs>
1: when you come, I, I don't know how often you come back to Oxford, although I did see you um, recently and I know your daughter's here, um, but do you ever go back to Bagel and Delhi? Do you go back, drive past the old places that you lived
0: in? And, and when oh, you do, what, what do you think when you go back? Oh, I mean, I'm usually with somebody, whether it's uh, my son, my son ended up um, being, he went to a different school, but the beta chapter of their, um, his fraternity that he was a leader in is at my, it started at, um, in Oxford. So he went to the bagel and jelly shop. <laughs> and then my daughters have plenty of chances to go to it, but she, I think she prefers Chipotle what, you know, oh, for that just down the road. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But when we walk across all of them, you know, there's not a lot that's changed and the new things that are there. Um, like the farmer school of business was just being built when I rolled off the business advisory council, um, it still complements the the university so well um and i was the last year of the old stadium the football stadium was when i arrived on campus and it was charming a little you know football you almost thought you were in the ivy league um with that but now they've built some you know big buildings there so just walking around and you know seeing things that haven't changed but seeing things that have changed yeah. and they still fit within the the overall experiences is you it's know, a, off, it's the
1: most beautiful campus and Oxford's it's just a cool little town. It really yeah, is it's it a sure great place is. to be. Mm-hmm. So, when you look back over your time at Miami, this is going to be a tough question. This might be the toughest question for you. <laughs> so, my question is, what is your most memorable personal experience? Mm. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Wow
0: yeah <laughs> positive or negative you know <laughs> all
1: right you, you can choose <laughs> most memorable yeah fire away
0: <laughs> oh wow um okay I will do it and this 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 may not happen but it, it definitely did for me we were in an upper level economics class and we you know you you kind of you don't have the social media to find out how great professors are you saw by chirping word of mouth and so we we found out that this professor was one of the hardest in economics. And we were like, that is great. But you know, you're you're at the high level. So you really can't transfer to another one because they're the only one teaching it. So you're like, well, that's just great. So we go and he's really great. And he writes the numbers behind him. One, three, and I can't remember if it was, you know, seven, four, whatever, what those numbers were. And then he starts to talk. And we look around and most of us have been with each other because it's upper level. We've been, you know, with each other for the last couple of years. And the bell rings. He's like, oh, OK, I'll see. You. And somebody said, hey, professor, you know, what is that? He, What's those numbers mean? He's like, oh, oh, yeah, hold on. One equals an A, three equals a B. And we all look at each other and like we know he's not kidding. So he set the expectation that four of us and you look around, I think there might have been there was maybe 10, 13, 15 students total. We had to compete for an A and a B. And that didn't tell you right then and there. You better get your, you know, you come with your A game every day now, because that. Uh, so I go. I would say that's a memorable experience because it, it definitely. He <laughs> sure. it, it was very clear about what his expectation was, and it was up to you to decide how you were going to do that. It
1: sharpened the pencil, as we say. It oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. So if you if you if you were to look back on any part of your time at Miami, what if anything would you have done differently?
0: Oh, wow. You kind of hate to say, yes, should you have done anything different? I think I said, I told you before, I w- probably would have um, said, you know what, I can I'll spend a little bit of money to go abroad and um, take that opportunity at Oxford. Because I didn't end up going overseas until. Um, oh, I went overseas to have the last w- as chairman of the Business Advisory Council. The last meeting that I I had as under my tutelage was to have a Business Advisory Council meeting in Lux, our Luxembourg campus. I'm going to put and that, that was, on my list of things to do. <laughs> oh, it was. And it was, it was so nice. And I brought my kids and, um, and, and so we stayed a couple weeks after to, to enjoy that. <clears throat> so, th- you know, the thing that I, I kind of tell my kids is, you know, the um, work hard and play hard. And when I, I did a lot of working hard, but playing hard. And when I was in high school and I thought, well, you know, I, maybe i ought to buckle down. So I could have maybe had a little bit more fun <laughs> at miami and did a few things but um worriedly I, so, worriedly there's hardly, you know, all of those things are yeah all those things yeah might, might not take russian again <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: right. is there a class that you wish you'd taken
0: well you know entrepreneurism was not um on the list and i would have loved to have built a structure around that I think I have an entrepreneurial spirit but didn't really have an approach or methodology to it. Um, That would have been very powerful, um, I think, for me personally. Um, And uh, the fact that it's there now, you know, who knows? I I might definitely have taken that.
1: So I'm about to switch gears into advice for students' questions. But before I do that, I think you've got some interesting things on your desk. So can you share with our listeners your Miami... (laughs) trinkets that you you have around I know.
0: you. <laughs> so being below the Mason-Dixon lot, I don't get up there as often. Um, so on my desk, I have a few tokens um, that Miami has bestowed to me. One of them is a beautiful um, gold clock that I have sitting on my desk. The other one is a pen, which I have yet to write from, so I'm sure it works. But it is beautiful and red and it's in a very... Beautiful, wooden, red, polished box. And then I have a gavel. And though my kids try to make it a weapon at times, it is a gavel. (laughs) And the gavel is from um, some of the people at the Business Advisory Council as I rolled off, they gave me this. So those are all just, you know, things to help remind you of people and the impact you might have had. Um, on them, they sure show it to you by giving you nice... And and, and for our listeners,
1: Dawn's being incredibly modest because you were the co-chair of the BAC, the Business Advisory Council for a period of time. So we we thank you for your service there. So as we we wind down the interview, I, I want you to give advice for our students who are listening to this podcast. And if you can split this into two parts. Part one, think about incoming first years and what advice you would give them as they enter into Miami. And part two, advice for people who've been working just a few years so what should they lean into and pay attention to as they continue to build their career
0: okay so um addressing incoming first years and we'll make the assumption that in high school a lot of people wanted to get that gpa up as high as possible and unless we're all blessed with intellectual minds that are 160 we um we probably stayed to the things that we knew that we could do well. Um, but one of the things that I, w- w- I told my kids this, you, if you, you'd rather learn a lot about yourself and how your brain thinks, but also what gives you natural energy, those natural aptitudes, you have to expose yourself to different environments. And sometimes just being in an environment is not just enough to absorb as much as you need from it. So if you think you have an interest in something, take it. So like from, for example, my son, I don't know, mom, do I like robotics? I'm like, well, take it, you know? So he took it in high school, um, you know, but he wasn't chasing that GPA. He was chasing to understand what is it that I really enjoy doing? So as you think about that in your first year, what are the things that I know I'm good at, but what are the things that I might be interested in and and take those courses? Like there's always that pass fail, (laughs) help me out, but do that. Um, But also lean in as much as you can to advisors or professors. Sometimes the advisors um, are so overwhelmed, the ratio may not be as good. And they also don't have um, a direct personal relationship with you in a classroom like a professor does or a GA does. Get involved with them. Don't think you're brown nosing. Just ask them questions. They um, are there to bring Um, real world into the curriculum and into your life as you are deciding how you're going to live your life from a career perspective. Um, So that's what I would say from a first year perspective. As far as leaning into your career, there are so many avenues out there now for people to understand what it is that they do. Um, And if you just put money aside, and I've always been told, make a decision just based on money you're probably going to be unhappy in the long run Um, so how do you help make a decision well you learn a lot about yourself Um, and there's not a wrong decision if you make it for yourself right so look at how many new businesses have been, been started because someone had a passion that nobody else saw and and didn't find that so do that, and there's so many tests. There's the Hogan, and there's the Herman Brain Dominance, and of course there's the Myers Briggs. There's so many tools that organizations are using now to help measure aptitudes and personalities, and and how how you as an individual function best in certain things. And I would explore those, especially as you get into an environment where most of us, when we get out of school, we're working for a pretty big company because Miami has got such a strong career placement. Utilize those, ask to, to have those um, benefits applied to you. So, you because it helps the organization you're working for to be able to find exactly uh, what your sweet spot is so that you can continue to be successful.
1: It's great advice. I love it. So as we wind wind up to time, I just want to thank you so much, Dawn, for the gift of your time to allow us to record this podcast. One defining characteristic of the Farmer School of Business is just how engaged our alumni are and how willing they are to continue to find ways to support the school, our students, our faculty, our staff, and other alumni. So thank you, Dawn, and go well as you continue your journey beyond High Street. Thank you.
0: Thank you. It was an honor. Thank you.